Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call, not the righteous, but the sinners. I think it was probably about 6 a.m. when the pain and the frequency of the pain became almost unbearable. And we had to we had to address it, so uh, we went to went to our went to the hospital. It was just a small small town hospital. We didn't know how the day would transpire, but we got there because uh, Robin was in labor, and we were waiting for the first the, the birth of our firstborn daughter Mia. And we got there again. It was right around six a.m. And uh, labor lasted all day into the afternoon and into the evening, and it had really been going on all through the night before. <laughs> and I'll never for- forget it, just, just kind of being there. And uh, Robin, she was, she was having back labor, so I, what that meant for me, uh, effectively, is that I, as she was having contractions, I would, I would hold her and give like, counter-pressure for her lower back, and somehow that provided some kind of, of, of relief. And I was after one particularly bad contraction. It had finally let up. And Robin's catching her breath, and I'm standing there, and she looks up at me because she's this tall. And she looks up, she goes, you have nose hair. And she reaches up and grabs it. Pulls. And I swear it was attached to the back of my left eyeball. And I'm like, ah, and it's like wadding. I'm like, ow. She goes, don't you tell me how that hurts. <laughs> she always has a way of putting things so that I can understand them. <laughs> and, but I digress. The, 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 the day moved on, and by 8 p.m., our daughter Mia was born. And afterwards, of course, they... They cleaned her up and, and, and addressed uh, Robin and took care of things there. There was paperwork, there was stuff to do, there were phone calls to make. It was probably about midnight or so that we, we got into the hospital room and, and Robin was in the bed and she's holding Mia. I'm in the recliner next to the bed, just kind of sitting back and just we just catch our breath. And it was at that moment that all of the adrenaline that I had wore off and I realized I hadn't eaten a thing all day. We left the house at six in the morning and we left in kind of a hurry and a panic when we left. And so I don't know that I had eaten since like the night before. And when that adrenaline wore off, I was famished. I was so, I, I, like I, I, seriously, I don't know that I've been hu- that hungry before or since. And so I just, I got up and I, and I went to the nurse's station and then I realized I'm in a small town hospital. There's no cafeteria here. I'm in a small town. Like all of the places that you would buy food at, they're closed. I could drive home, but there's no food there. There's like, there's no food to be had. I go to the, the nurse's station and I say, 
is there any food anywhere? And she says, the, the nurse behind the, the counter says, yeah, there's a, there's a vending machine there. So I reach into my pocket and I pull out a $20 bill. I don't know why I had a $20 bill in my pocket. I never have any kind of bills in my pocket. I don't carry cash, for it, but there it was. And I said, is there any chance that you could break this for me? And I'll never forget, her name was Rhonda. She was the, the, the nurse behind the counter, and she was an angel sent from the sweet baby Jesus in heaven above. I mean, she took my money, and she went, and she broke it into smaller bills, and she said, here. And so I go over to the, the vending machine, and I, and I buy two bags of chips. They were called potato skins. They were a brand, and they were little bags of chips. And then I got a, a cup of Easy Mac, and there was a microwave next to this, this vending machine, so I cooked up the Easy Mac, and I took my chips, and I went into the room, and I sat down in that little recliner, and I had my first meal with my newly expanded family. Robin and Mia were getting nutrition by other means at that moment, but there I was having, having this meal. Quite possibly the finest <laughs> meal I have ever had. And it definitely wasn't about what I was eating. That was a salute to sodium. And, <laughs> and yet, there I was having this meal that, again, is the finest thing that I've, finest meal that I've ever had because I don't, sometimes it's not about what you're eating, but who's joining you as you eat that. Sometimes that's where the, 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 the thing is. That's where the magic is. Because there's power, right? There's power in sharing a meal with others. It's the, it's the great equalizer, isn't it? Everybody needs to eat. It doesn't matter if you're a newly, freshly made baby or if you've been walking the planet for a while, you need to eat. And when you can slow down enough to actually sit down at a table with somebody else, share a meal, then you can have that face-to-face -face conversation. You know, face-to-face -face conversation, you, you can begin to build a connection. It, it grows community. It, it fosters family. When I say family, I mean that in the mo biggest, most broadest, beautiful sense of the word. It fosters family, community, connection. I came across a story of some young people who knew this idea and this reality, and they knew it deep in their bones. They had a passion for sharing meals, they had a passion for connecting uh, with, with each other and, and, and growing community at their school. And I'd like to share a news story that came out about that. Check this out. We end the week at a school where lunchtime is fulfilling the spirit. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. When the lunch bell rings at Boca High in Boca Raton, Florida, 3,400 kids spill into the courtyard and split into their social groups. But not everyone gets included. Here at Boca High and at schools across the country, someone always sits alone. It's not a good feeling, like you're by yourself, and that's something I, I don't want anybody to go through. Dennis Esteban is a Haitian immigrant. When he came here in first grade, he says he felt isolated, especially at lunch. Now he's a senior, he's popular, but he has not forgotten that first grade feeling. To me, it's like if we don't try and go make that change, who's going to do it? So with some friends, Dennis started a club called We Dine Together, 
We done. Together. We done. Together. We done. Their mission is to go into the courtyard at lunchtime to make sure no one is starving for company. Dennis. I'm new here. You're new here? When did you first come here? For new kids especially, the club is a godsend. It's Gabriel. Gabe, how you doing? Since it started last fall, hundreds of friendships have formed. Some very unlikely. You're probably meeting kids you never would meet on the football team. Ever. <laughs> Gene Max Marydew actually quit the football team, gave up all the perks that come with it, just so he could spend more time with this club. I don't, I don't mind not getting a football scholarship. This is what I really want to do. Just imagine how different your teenage years would have been. What's your name? If the coolest kids in school all of a sudden decided you mattered. We'll get to know each other better. It obviously takes a lot of empathy to devote your lunch period to this. Yes. Either that or first-hand experience. I went from coming from a school that I always had friends to coming to where I had nobody, so. Club member Allie Seeley transferred two years ago. She says with no one to sit next to, lunch can be the most excruciating part of the day. I think it's really unfair. It's honestly an issue. Meeting someone who actually cares and, lis and listens to what you have to say really makes a difference. And that could happen at lunch. That could happen at our club. It's going to make a difference. And not just here at Boca High. Yeah, I'll be around tomorrow if you want to eat lunch together or something. Dennis and his team are now trying to open chapters of We Dine Together at schools across the country. And maybe when they're done showing kids how to make outsiders feel accepted, they can teach us adults, too. Steve Hartman on the road in Boca Raton, Florida. Because sometimes it's not about what's in the lunchbox. But who are you eating that lunch with? Sharing the meal can create a place of acceptance and love. And I, and I do, I, I love that last... Uh, that last statement by the, the narrator, Steve Hartman, who says, maybe when they're done teaching kids about how to make outsiders feel accepted, they can teach us adults, too. Maybe when they get done teaching kids how to make outsiders feel accepted, they can teach us adults, too. And, and I kind of feel like that's an energy that sits within this, this Bible story that we, we just heard today kind of at the core in some ways of the lesson today, is that no one dines alone. We dine together. And Jesus is trying to teach us how to make outsiders feel accepted. See, Jesus, he was walking around. around I, I, I like to imagine it was around lunchtime. It was around lunchtime. And uh, he comes across this guy, Levi. Levi was a tax collector. He sees him at his booth doing his thing. He says, follow me. And Levi did. And then Levi ended up inviting him over to his house for lunch. They shared a meal with some other friends that were there. But what you have to understand about Levi, he's, he was the quintessential outsider. He was a tax collector. And we hear that, we think, oh, he was an IRS guy. <laughs> no. It's just like that, only completely different. Um, to be a tax collector in that day, and we've talked some of this before, but just as a, as a review for, for some, the context that he lived in, it was the ancient Near East, and it was in the Roman Empire, and the Romans had absolutely put the kibosh 
on, on the people of Israel. And the way they functioned is they would go in, they would conquer a place, and then they would uh, tax them very heavily to get their money, and then they would take the natural resources and all the stuff that goes with it and just take it and then use that to expand their kingdom. Now, if you decided, no, I don't feel like paying taxes so much today, you're arrested, you were beaten, you were, you were killed. The, the Romans were absolutely ruthless in getting what they needed to expand their empire. So the Romans came in and did that. And the way that they got those taxes is they found locals who would serve as tax collectors. Levi was a tax collector. He was Jewish. He lived in that community. And he got them to pay the money. And then he would pay that money to the Romans. But the way that he made his livelihood was he would charge over and above what the Romans needed. And he, would got, he literally was getting rich because of the empire. So clearly he was a loved, much-loved person in his community, right? I mean, he was viewed as a traitor, not only against the Jewish people, but a traitor against God. And Jesus looks at this traitor against the people and against God. He looks at this tax collector. He sees a, a flesh-and-blood human being, and he says, I love you. Follow me. Let's go have some lunch. Then he had a meal with this tax collectors, this tax collector and a bunch of everyday, ordinary sinners as well. And then the Pharisees entered the picture. The Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the time. They were a step above, a notch above in the social hierarchy. They were the scholars. They tried to keep every law that you found in, in their scriptures. And they knew it, and they were holy, and they were set aside, and they were looked up to. They were cool kids, they knew it, and you should always be suspect of any cool kid who knows that they're a cool kid, <laughs> right? And they see Jesus, and they scoffed at him, and he says, why does he bother eating with those people? Why would he eat with these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, and this is straight from the story, it says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have, come not, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. In other words, Pharisees, it ain't about you. It is not about you, because you have people to eat with. You have what you need. You're good. I've come for those who are on the outside looking in. We dine together. Love is for everyone. Even those you don't like. God is for everyone. Even those you don't like. God is love. And it's for everyone. Even those you don't like. Again, that line from the video just stands out to me, right? Maybe when they get done teaching kids about how to make outsiders feel accepted, they can teach us adults too. And I think that's exactly what Christ is trying to do. And I think that's what Christ is still trying to do. We're in this series that's called Sunday Brunch. So we're looking at these, these Bible stories that are about meals. But because we're in this series uh, called Sunday Brunch and the stuff that we've talked about, that's why 
we are filling up our little pantry out there and inviting you in, in the next few weeks to bring non-perishable food items and just pile them up here on the stage and, and then we'll, we'll be able to share that because it can become a vehicle for co community and connection with our, with our neighbors around, around the building here. That's why we're going to actually practice what I'm preaching about today and set up tables and sit at tables and pass plates and eat food because that's a place of connection. That's why every week we come here and we have the bread and the cup of Holy Communion because we dine together and everybody's invited and nobody dies, dines alone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a tax collector or a sinner or an insider or an outsider. It doesn't matter if you've been worshiping around here for 50 years or you stumbled through the door randomly today and thought you were at Hy-Vee and then you ran... <laughs> and then there's like a bearded guy with sandals singing... And you're like, this is the strangest high V I've ever been to. It doesn't matter if you think you have all the answers or if you have nothing but questions. We dine together. No one dines alone. I like to think that in this story, at some point, Levi, that old tax collector, was sitting in his house and having a meal with Jesus, and he kind of sat back and looked and caught a glimpse of the divine as he dined together with Christ. I like to think that that happens here, too. My hope and my prayer is that when we gather here every week and we, and we all share this bread and this cup that's about to be set up here in a moment, that we receive it, and then we can look past it and catch a glimpse of the divine. Because we dine together. Christ is with us through it all. Because again, as I said before, it's, it's not necessarily about the food, but it's who you're eating with. We, we dine together, you, me, Christ with us, and Christ through us.